Good morning. It's good to see you all. Welcome. My name is Randy Pauley. I'm the pastor here. So for those who are visiting us from elsewhere, aloha, nihao ma, welcome, and of course, how's it? I've got a very special announcement for you today. Scriptures, Luke chapter 15, we're told that there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. So there is joy happening in, in heaven right, right now as we speak, and I want, I want that joy to be matched in here this morning by God's grace, that we would not be outdone by angels. There is an announcement. The Lord has sought one of his sheep. And sometimes we, sometimes we come to find that we've been searching and worshiping, and we finally find, or rather are found by Christ. And it is a joyful experience. So I would like to introduce you all to our new sister in Christ, Miss Julie Kenny Mako, would you please stand up? <laughs> if I can get a good uh, local chihu from somebody. Can do it? There, it is, there it is. Praise God. Praise God. Julie this morning accepted Jesus. As her Lord and Savior, she heard the call, repent, and believe in the gospel, and that's what she did. Thank you. Praise God. We are praying for you. We love you. God bless, guys. So be looking out. We're going to be having a, Lord willing, possibly a baptism service in two weeks, October 5th, and, and be in prayer. We hope you can all make it. There will be more details on that next week. So if you're joining us, you have a new sister also. Uh, today, Mark chapter 8, we'll be continuing in Mark chapter 8. We preach about the Word of God here. We're, we're all about Jesus here because Jesus alone has the power to save. So I was actually just, I found out this past week, I didn't even know it. So I guess today is National Go Back to Church Day. So... You are all participants, right on. So welcome, welcome. If you are here because of that, praise God, we welcome you. I always like to say the church is more of an identity than it is a location. The church is more of an identity than it is a location. It's somebody you are by virtue of the work of Jesus, not a place we go. So we're, we're working on that. We're, we're, we're all in, in change. Uh, but I guess it goes well with another national holiday that I was just informed about. The 19th Friday was actually POWMIA Day, National POWMIA Day, Prisoner of War and Missing in Action. We are honoring those who have gone on behalf of country and God into battle, and many of them never returned. Some have, but many still have not. And so I guess if you put those two together, there are many of us who have been MIA, perhaps, missing in action. 
that we have been gone for a long, long time, unaccounted for. Maybe even people on the church directory that maybe you should look and read and see where, where are they. They are missing in action, and just as Jesus seeks his sheep, he wants us to seek his sheep. And know that ultimately he's always with us and through us. So I pray that the Lord will use this message. The title from Mark 8, 27 to 38 is The Living Dead. The Living Dead. This is not a horror movie or a horror sermon. At least I hope not. <laughs> Time will tell. Time will tell. The Living Dead. I hope the Lord uses it to bring many, much life in here this morning to all. There's a story, a famous story, Homer's Odyssey. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you've read it. In that book, one of the heroes, Odysseus, they're out on a voyage in their ship. They're trying to make it home. And the stories about their encounters as these men are trying to make it home to see their families, to be back. But a wind blows them off their trail as they're going around the Horn of Africa. And they, they happen upon an island. And this island is the island of the Lotus Eaters. So these people, of the, the inhabitants of the island, they eat the lotus plant. And it actually has a narcotic effect. And, and they love it, and they, they just relax there all the time. They're just happy all the time. We also have a lotus plant here. It makes people like that, too. So these people, these men, the sailors, as they happen upon the island, they, they go to see what type of inhabitants are there. And in the process, they feed them the lotus plants. And suddenly, they don't want to go home anymore. They're stuck there. They like the, the comforts of the island. They like the lotus plant. Home, we don't want to go home. We'll just stay here forever. Odysseus had to drag them against their will back to the ship and make them leave and they did it with much tears and I I feel that there is a good high possibility that perhaps the church many in the church have eaten the lotus plant the comforts of the world we have been lulled to sleep people and we are we have forgotten our mission we have forgotten our first love we have forgotten what it means to follow Jesus and this text is crystal clear before us about what it means. And I pray the Spirit uses it to, to pierce your heart, to grieve it to repentance if need be, to drag you back, to get you on mission, to come back to Christ. So let's pray. Only he can do this, and let's ask him to do it. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray your Holy Spirit this morning would be moving powerfully already, that you would waken us, Lord, that you would wake us up to the glories of Christ and open our eyes to the fleeting pleasures of this world. Lord Jesus, may you grant to us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow you no matter what the cost. And Lord, may you shake the very foundations of Kahului through your people and your word. For the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Mark 8, 27 to 30 is where we will begin. 
can flip there. I'm clicking there with you. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Last week from Mark chapter 7, the title of that was Clean Hands, Evil Heart. We saw there's nothing that you do on the outside that you eat that coming into you can make you unclean before God. But it's what actually comes out of your heart that defiles you. And now we... From the end of that passage, we left off with about six verses in Mark chapter 7 and then come up to here. There's a few miracles. One of those miracles, he healed a deaf man. He healed. He healed. I don't know. Sorry. He healed a deaf man. He healed a man who was blind and deaf. He fed 4,000 more people again. So there's a lot happened that we are going to kind of gloss over. But what I want you to see is, especially with the healing of the blind man, I'll actually read that for you because it's utterly important, and it leads into a lot of the passages. Verse 22, and they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him a blind man and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people. But they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he went to his home saying, don't even enter the village. And right after that is a passage we read. So here's kind of one of the big ideas of the passage, and it's going to lead into our first points. One, the cross, the cross is a non-negotiable in the Christian life. Not just his cross, ours too. It's the big idea. The cross is a non-negotiable of the Christian life. Not just his cross, but yours and mine too. So we'll dissect, we'll cut this up, Lord willing, in three points. Seeing clearly, thinking clearly, following costly. Seeing clearly, thinking clearly, and following costly. The man said, I see people who look like trees walking, and he wasn't watching Lord of the Rings either. He said, I see people who look like trees. Now, this miracle and the others before it, I would say, function like, again, we saw this earlier in the book of Mark, like a real-life parable depicting this is actually the disciples' faith coming into focus, starting to see things clearly. If you remember, they are rebuked over and over again up until this point because it says their hearts were hardened. They did not understand about the loaves. They saw Jesus walking on the water, and they were fearful. Jesus calms the storm, and they're just astonished. They don't get it. Their, their vision is coming into focus about who this person is. And look, like the man who's blind and healed, what do you see? Do you see clearly? I see people. They look like trees. The disciples are starting to get it. This is a crucial point in the book of Mark because after this, 
Everything's starting to change. Jesus now shifting to talking about death, his suffering, his march to Jerusalem. So this is key. This is key in, the mark, in Mark. Their, their vision is starting to become more clearly. And that's my hope for you this morning. Whether you're a visitor or a longtime Christian, that your vision of Christ would become crystal clear because of the Spirit's working. Jesus then asks them, his disciples, right after this miracle, about his identity. He asks them, ultimately, who, who do men say that I am? And they had all these answers for Jesus. Well, John the Baptist, he's a religious man, very devout. Or maybe he's like Elijah. He works miracles. The, the breaking of the bread and feeding of 5,000, actually, if you know your Old Testament, very much resembled the miracle of Elijah when, when he poured the oil into the jars and they just kept filling up one after another. It's miraculous. And so others thought maybe he's Elijah. But ultimately, at the end of the day, this all boils down to this for everybody. Not what do other people think about Jesus, but what do you think about Jesus? Who is he? More than what do you think about him, who is he? That's what it boils down to. It doesn't boil down to what my uncle thinks or what this scholar in this school I go to thinks. Who do you say that I am? Who do you think that I am? It's a good, good question, and maybe you have lots of other questions. But there comes a time when all of the questions have to be met with an answer. No field that you ever go in, you'll ever come to the point where you have all of the answers. And at some point, you are going to believe something. You're going to make a choice. You're not going to say, you know, I'm, I'm studying geology and astrophysics. Um, before I can make a choice about what I think about this, I am going to examine everything. That's not the way. If you're majoring in that, you might not even sound like that. I'm sorry. Yes, that's right. But at some point, you're going to have to make a decision and, and have faith, exercise faith that there are things you don't know and don't understand. So I ask you, my friend and brother, who is Jesus? Peter replies for all of them, you are the Christ. You are the promised one, the Son of of the living God. They're starting to see clearly. Now Jesus is going to start to reform their thinking because our thoughts can throw off our perceptions. So that leads us to point two, thinking clearly. 31 to 33. And he began to teach them. So you are the Christ. Don't tell anybody about this. 31, and now he began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's himself, must suffer must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter, oh Peter, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. 
thinking clearly. Now, they see Jesus is the Christ, but their problem was their thoughts, their beliefs about who this Messiah was and what he would do were off, slightly off. See, they were expecting conquering the military Messiah, the Jesus of Revelation with sword in his hand, fire in his eyes, riding a great white stallion to vanquish all of the enemies of Israel. That's what they were expecting. They weren't expecting this talk of a, of a suffering Messiah. What do you mean you must be rejected? You must suffer. No, the Messiah doesn't suffer. That's not what happens. And so, because Peter just can't comprehend this, he, he pulls Jesus aside. Nice of you, Peter. So kind of you not to do it in front of everybody. Thank you for pulling him aside. And he begins to actually rebuke God. The day a man decided to rebuke God. This, I would imagine, this probably looked back on Peter's life as one of the most embarrassing, surely, even worse than walking on waters the day I tried to rebuke Jesus from going to the cross that would actually save me. Imagine this was very embarrassing. I just read in the papers this week, uh, so the iPhone 6 came out, and the first guy in line at this one store, been waiting for hours and hours and hours, they get him on the news, and they're like, hey, let us, oh, let us watch you open this, just like all the other phones that have been launched that get open, but still, we'll watch you. And He's there on live TV, and, and they're watching him unwrap it and open it. And right there on live TV, the first guy who has a first phone at this store waiting for hours drops it. <laughs> live TV just drops it on the ground. And, oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's good, right? That little local story made national news. So this guy's going to forever be looked back as that's the guy. That, you're the guy who dropped the phone. Oh, way to go. I imagine this is kind of like Peter. He's just, this is forever. Everybody's going to hear about this. But Peter shares this with Mark because Peter has, has experienced firsthand the gentle, restoring, loving hand of God. Jesus has, he's, Peter has felt the love of Christ feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Now looking back, Peter can talk boldly about his failures because his failures aren't what identify him. It's actually the suffering and work of Jesus that identifies Peter. So he can talk gladly about this embarrassing, embarrassing story. I pray that this would be the case with you, brother and sister. Our sins, our mistakes of the past don't define us. Christ alone. Christ alone. Christ is your everything. These are also demonstrates the blinding effects of sin. The lunacy of it. You begin to even think that God himself is wrong. You just confessed him to be the promised Messiah and you're going to rebuke him for anything he wants to do? It's the deceiving nature of sin that maybe even God is wrong. And he is rebuked accordingly. You are not setting your mind on things of God, but on the things of man. One pastor said it like this. Peter had bought into Satan's philosophy. What is Satan's philosophy? His philosophy is glory without suffering. Glory without suffering. God's philosophy, suffering 
transformed into glory. Peter had brought into the lie. So Jesus is rethinking these things, rethinking them, seeing clearly, thinking clearly. And now we'll spend the bulk of our time following costly. So what? 34 to 38. In response to Peter and his rebuke of Christ, not only does he get personally rebuked, but everybody's going to get a lesson in discipleship and calling the crowd to him with his disciples. He said to them, if anyone, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Following costly. If anyone would come after me, a disciple, a couple weeks ago, maybe a month and a half, two months ago now, we saw the ana- an- what is it? anatomy of a disciple. We saw the anatomy of a disciple. Somebody has a new king, a new mission, a new family, They want to be with Jesus. They want to be with Jesus. So some of those will overlap in here, and we're going to talk about it again. What is a disciple? Because I constantly need this to be driven into my head. What is a disciple? Literally is a follower. Some have defined it as a fully, fully devoted follower of Christ. This is a disciple, an apprentice, a student, we might say. But a funny thing about a follower is Jesus says it's impossible to be a follower of somebody and not end up being like them. You tracking with that? It's impossible to be a follower or a disciple of somebody and not end up being like them. So if you are a follower of UH, then they are losers and you will probably be a loser too. I'm just saying. No, no, I'm kidding. kidding. I I had to. I had to. I'm playing. Go UH Warriors. That was... My Bulldogs lost, too. It's okay. They lost. I'm a loser. Oh, take it easy over there. Who's clapping? It's impossible to be a follower of someone and not end up being like them. Jesus phrased it like this. Everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. A disciple is not above his master. Everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. It's impossible to be a follower of somebody and not end up being like them. But that's exactly, exactly, precisely what we have done in the church. We have said, I can be a Christian and look, nothing at all like Christ. And I would say, Christ would say, you are no follower of me. Why do you say to me, Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. This is exactly what we've done with Christ. Paul goes so far to even say, you are not your own. 
For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your bodies. You are not your own. A disciple is somebody who has a new master, a new Lord. Or as Jesus says, if anybody would follow me, let him deny himself. Let him deny himself. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean that I am to sell all that I have and give everything to the poor and live a life of self-abasement and self-denial and extreme pain until Jesus comes? It may. It may. But I think that's not primarily what Jesus has in mind. Jesus has in mind the idea that Primarily, you are not self-determinative. Jesus is. You are not setting the course or the direction of your life. You are not setting the rudder, punching in the GPS. Jesus is. You are denying yourself, and Jesus now is your everything. Here's what it means practically. If your dream, if your dream is to have 2.5 children live in a 4.5-bedroom house, have 1.5 dogs, have 1.7 cars, a picket fence, and retire and live comfortably, and it becomes apparent, and it becomes apparent that God wants you to give up that dream, you're willing. It means you're willing to lay it all down, whatever Jesus wants. Whatever Jesus wants. It means, David Platt put it this way, he had a desire to be a professional baseball player, so he was doing everything he could to go towards that. And he said his youth pastor told him, being, denying yourself and following Jesus means if Jesus wants you to put down the bat and gloves for his name's sake, you put them down. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It means you are following Jesus. You are laying your dreams, your desires, your aspirations and saying, Jesus, you say these things are destructive. Your way is life. I am following you no matter what. No matter what. It might mean that this year you don't make a New Year's resolution to lose weight so that you can look good at the beach. It means you might make a New Year's resolution to lose weight so that your body will last as long as possible so that you can serve Christ with full strength as long as you possibly can so that you might be able, maybe for some of you, to take this gospel to unreached places that only somebody with a body that is physically capable can make it to. That might be why you decide to lose weight this year, because you're going to follow Jesus no matter the cost. Or if your lifestyle right now is doing something that clearly, clearly, no matter how we try and justify it, is getting in the way of my relationship with Jesus, I'm willing to forsake it. Deny himself. So I ask, does the evidence... Brother and sister, here's the heart-searching question. You lay out your life, fan it out. Does the evidence, the evidence of your life, your activities, your time loop, point to the fact that you are a follower of Christ, as he understood that to mean? A follower of Christ. Let me introduce you to a man named Mark. 
The story also comes from David Platt in his book, Radical Together. Mark. Mark spent his entire adult life involved in church programs and serving on church committees. You name it, and I did it, he said. I was on finance teams and personnel teams. I worked on capital building campaigns and fundraisers, and I sat in long-term planning sessions. Every week, my schedule was filled with church activity. After becoming a part of the church and hearing people talk about following Jesus and making disciples, Mark realized that despite all the good things he had done in the church, he could not name one person outside his family whom he had led to Christ and who was now walking with Christ and leading others to Christ. He then said to the pastor, I have spent my entire life doing all the stuff in church that I thought I was supposed to do. But I'm realizing that I've missed the most important thing, following Jesus and making disciples. Mark lives now in his work, doesn't live in his workplace. Mark now lives in his workplace and community and is now intentionally leading people to Christ and teaching them to follow him. And he would go on to say this, Pastor David Platt. The last thing I want you and I to do is waste our lives on religious activity that is devoid of spiritual productivity. Being active in the church but not advancing the kingdom of God. One of the worst enemies of Christians can be doing good things in the church. One of the worst enemies of Christians can be doing good things in the church Dedication to church committees and programs does not automatically equal devotion to kingdom purposes. Dedication to church committees and programs does not automatically equal devotion to kingdom purposes. We must be willing, we must be willing to sacrifice good things in the church in order to experience the great things of God. You hear that? We must be willing to sacrifice good things in the church in order to experience the great things of God. He would say elsewhere, it is a sin to do good if God has called you to do great. So I say, my brothers and sisters, it may not be, it may not be that the gospel of Jesus has lost its relevance or its power, but rather the church may have lost its mission and focus. Rather the church may have lost its mission and focus. The call of Jesus, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And follow me. Everybody who heard that part, deny yourself, yeah, that's pretty bad. The second part, even more radical, take up your cross. There's only one meeting the hearers there would have recognized, and that's crucifixion and death. One pastor said it like this, if there is a cross in the future of Christ, then there is a cross in the future of his people. You are called, the call of discipleship to follow Jesus. The living dead is literally a call to come and die. 
even a martyr's death for some of us. You are not saved. We are not redeemed from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his marvelous glory and light. We are not saved so that we might play it safe, that we might hold our cards and take no risk. We are saved to lay it all down, to go all in because Jesus is our ace in the hole. One professor would say it like this, if safety is the fundamental calculus by which you measure your life, you have grossly misunderstood the Bible. We are called to go all in, deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Jesus. This isn't just a calling for a haphazardly, I'm just going to sell everything I have, buy a plane ticket to Iraq, and start preaching to jihadists, even though I don't know the language. It's not what this is saying. It's saying, you pray. Take a serious, serious accounting of your life. How am I spending my time? How am I spending my money? What do I truly desire? And I want to lay that at the feet of Jesus. Seek counsel. Pray. I'm thinking this is what the Lord might have me to do. Pastor, deacon, brother, sister, what what do you think about this? Seek counsel because the Lord commands us to seek counsel. And then make radical changes that commend the glory of Christ and bring it to others. I sat in my office and I wept. I wept over this passage. You receive an email that people are Christians, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, are, their children are getting beheaded in front of them. Some of them are getting shot after that. Millions, millions and millions of children are dying and going to hell. People, other grown adults going under the judgment of God because of simple things like lacking food and water. And I look at my budget and I look at our church budget and I wonder what are we doing intentionally to put money not in programs to have nicer buildings or windows or that I might have a nice beautiful parsonage but that we might radically set money and time and energy and effort aside to go and share the gospel with the nations through whatever means possible. And then I get the news of of my brothers and sisters who are suffering that I hardly stop to pray for. And then we go on without our day and go and drink Starbucks and have a nice, comfortable life. And Jesus says, whoever would follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, die to yourself, and come after me. Brothers and sisters, we, we all need to grow in this. We all need to grow in this. We already have a budget slated to roll. 
slated to roll. I'm not going to ask people who worked hard on that to change and go redo all that. Here's what I'm going to ask. If you are serving on a, in a ministry, in a committee, then start looking at how the funds that the Lord allocates for those ministries start looking and planning how we can have a serious impact in the community and in the world because little women's teas and men's teas and things like that aren't going to do it. Where we go and we don't proclaim the gospel to anybody, that's not going to do it. It's not what Jesus had in mind. And I need to repent of this just as all of us do. What are some other things this might entail as we seek to make radical changes to commend the glory of Christ and bring it to others? There are 2,766 children in foster care in Hawaii. 878 of them are up for adoption. Maybe the Lord might move in you to somehow take some of them in. Somehow alleviate that suffering. There's all sorts of ministries. We've got Uncle Bill doing prison ministry or prison break, an episode of prison break every week to go into the prison and preach the gospel to those who are chained, not just spiritually but physically, and try and see them come to Jesus. There are millions and millions of people who you might connect with another organization, Christian organization, spend $32 a month and sponsor a child that will take care of all their needs for a year. There are infinite things we can do. Join together with Feed My Sheep, with Lenny Hattori and, and Helping the Homeless, doing whatever it is, but you're doing it not just to merely relieve physical suffering, but to love others radically with the gospel of Jesus, because that is what he did for you, to follow Jesus, to repent and believe in the gospel. Luke's gospel, he adds daily. Take up your cross daily. Jesus has no, he's not soft about what this means. It's going to be a fight daily in your inner person to do this. Does this sound extreme to us? I think so. It sounded extreme to the original hearers. But if it sounds radical or extreme or maybe fanatic to us, I would propose to you this. It only magnifies the extent of our fallen condition. If this seems extreme, it only magnifies the extent of our fallen condition. We were made to be with Jesus. You were made to be in perfect relationship with Jesus, to follow him wherever he goes. And if it sounds radical, it's because we have fallen so far. That's why Jesus came. That's why he came to bring us, 1 Peter 3.18, to bring us to God. And if it seems fearful... Not just radical, but if it seems fearful for one reason or another, and it does to me too. I would propose to all of us, it's only because we don't know the character of the one who's giving the commands, follow me. We aren't familiar with the man, God, Jesus, giving the command, follow me. He is good. He is wise, infinitely loving and kind and powerful and faithful. He is a good God, and we would do well 
to know him better. Luke 14, 33, Jesus says it like this. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Cannot be my disciple. So I'm going to ask you with a few questions that are pointed. Write them down or ask them later over lunch in prayer. If you choose... If you choose to obey the call of Jesus to follow, what might it cost you? If you choose, if you're here and you're going to talk about this, if you choose to obey the call of Jesus to follow, what might it cost you? Try your best not to be vague. Be specific. If following Jesus would cost you specific possessions, comforts, relationships, List those things specifically. What might it cost you? Ask yourself, what might hold you back from following? So this is what it will cost me. Now, what's holding me back from following Jesus at this point to do this? Are you willing to let go of these things if necessary? Are you willing to let go of these things if necessary? If you need help with these things, I don't expect it. We are all works in progress. It's not like tomorrow we're going to come back next week and be like perfectly like Jesus. We'll try and renounce something tomorrow that the Spirit's working on us, and in a couple months he'll reveal something else to us. And we'll say, yes, Lord, take that too. And he'll never give us more than we can handle. He knows our frame, and he knows that we are dust. I'm going to close, and we're going to sing. We're going to sing a song. As you pray, if, if you need prayer, I'm going to be over here. There's a little room over here. I'm going to be praying. If you want me to pray with you about this, to, to pray about your response, maybe you've never decided to follow Jesus. He died that he might bring you to God. May you do that today, not tomorrow, not next week. Today, repent and believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you need prayer, Pray. Otherwise, let the words of this song, I'm going to read the first verse because it captures it perfectly. Let the words of this song be your heart's prayer to God, that he would change you to be like this. Gladly, gladly would I leave behind me all the pleasures I have known to pursue surpassing treasures at the throne of God the Son, worthy of an ending worship. Love and loveliness is he. By his precious death were millions from the jaws of death set free. Brothers and sisters, gladly would we leave behind me. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. It is powerful. Do what only you can do and change hearts. Lord, help us to see the beauty, the magnificence, the strength, and the power of Christ. And Lord, would you move in us as a church, as individuals, as our families, to leave it all behind, to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you. And Lord, we need you to do this. You have done it for us. We ask that you do this for your namesake. In Jesus' name, amen.